thank you, Lord God, for, um, for your grace, for your favor, for your, your worth, Lord. Um, Lord, Lord I, I pray that you would work stuff into us. Um, help us as we hear and we gather information from the scriptures, Lord God. Work it into us, actually. Um, work it into our lives where it's a deep part of our souls, Lord God. Um, um, help us, uh, help, help us, help us to really, 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 actually, daily, daily, be renewed by the power of your word, Lord God. There's nothing else in our lives that contains so much truth and that's so timeless as the word. So let the words of my mouth be the words of the Bible, and the meditations of my heart be the Bible, and let the them all be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord Jesus Christ, our strength our Redeemer, the one who we put blatant trust in. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We started a few weeks ago a series on Ephesians. I've been itching ever since we, we you know, we planted Epiphany Fellowship. I've been itching to get to this book. I, I just love Ephesians. Um, I, I, I just love this book. It, it's, it's such a powerful book in helping the, the believer to be, to, to really recognize uh, who am I? Say, who am I? See, the identity of believers. So we've been going through that, and Paul, of course, is talking to Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, and the churches um, in Asia Minor. And, and, and he's writing to, these, to, to this church, to the churches here, and it wasn't really like we said a few weeks ago. This is one of the books of the New Testament where there wasn't something bad going on that motivated the need for the book. This, is, this, is, this was just written as a just-because letter to remind the believers that he left in Acts 20 and said, he'd never see, they, I'd never see your face again, but he writes to them to, to, to affirm them and to love on them in relation to understanding um, their, um, their image and the, um, their identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and beautiful, a beautiful thing about Ephesians is two churches that were deemed as the most spiritually mature churches in the New Testament was the, the church at Ephesus was, was one of the number one spiritually mature churches in the New Testament. That's why in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, God, Jesus is like, I got high expectations of y'all because y'all ain't start out like this. So, so they were considered one of the most fully grown churches. They had elders, they had deacons, they had uh, all of the things that make a church a church all the way established within the framework of the ministry and very, a very, very mature group of people that God just seemed to just grow and develop. Then we see the other churches, the Thessalonians in Thessalonica, were, were considered, again, they were considered the most authentic church, whereas the Ephesian church was considered the most theologically beastly church. Like, they were your theologian jokers. They was the monsters in the text. And the, and the Thessalonians, they were, they were in the text, but they were just authentic. They were just real, down-to-earth people. But they were considered the most spiritually, spiritually mature churches in the New Testament. So we, we, we've been going through this, and Paul starts off this book with talking, and talking about the identity of the believer and talking about the God who they identify with. So a few weeks ago, we, we spent really two weeks on the Father. Um, we spent two weeks, and, we, and our point was the Father commissions our new identity and we saw that he chose us and he elected us to salvation. We didn't choose him. We don't go looking for him. God in eternity past decided that he was going to cop a few raggedy jokers onto his team called the church. 
Um, and so, and so, so, so we talked a whole bunch about that. Then we talked about the fact, we talked about the Father, of course, uh, commissions our identity. But now, the la- last week we talked about Jesus Christ creates our identity. So the Bible talks about in him we have redemption. We talked about that meaning being on the auction block and being a raggedy looking slave in chains and in bondage. And God coming to buy us from his wrath, not from the, not from the devil, not from hell, not from sin, not from ourselves, even though those are byproducts. We saw that God, through Christ, was redeeming us. Christ was redeeming us from the wrath of God so that God's wrath wouldn't be poured out on us and his wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. Y'all with me? So this, this week we got, a, we got, you know, all these verses on the Father and all these verses on the Son, and now we got two verses on the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I like Holy Ghost. That make it more potent, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the Holy Ghost make it more potent. And he's probably the most controversial person in the Godhead. Because the most disagreement that Christians have is not about God the Father. Everybody going to call him Abba. Everybody going to talk. That's, we, we, we love the Father. You know, you know, th- then we get to the Son and everybody just break down about Jesus because he gave his life the whole nine. So all of us kind of agree on Jesus, you know. Some of us got to get our weights up because he is 100% God, 100% man, not 50-50. So we got, but, but for the most part, we, we believe that you're saved through Christ. And we, we believe about his person. We believe about his work, you know. But, but, then, but then, we get, then we get to the Holy Spirit. And then it's just a whole nother, I don't even, you know. You can, I mean, the Holy Spirit is, pro, is seen as the stepchild of the Trinity. Um, he, he's seen as the stepchild. Like, he really ain't God, right? He, he, he kind of, I mean, he God, but, you know. You know, you don't really see him. He ain't really trying to get honored, you know. And so, and so because of the humility of the Holy Spirit, now humility doesn't mean he's a punk. But humility means he does not have to be overtly seen because, listen, he is comfortable in who he is because he's God. Now, he's just as Lord. He's just as holy. Matter of fact, his name come with holy. They didn't just call Sometimes they call him the spirit, but he's the Holy Spirit, right? And I'm not going to do today a biblical theology on the Holy Spirit because we can do like a month on, two, three months on that. I want to really preach what's in this text about the Holy Spirit, how Paul meant it in relation to our identity. Y'all with me? So, 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 so I want to, before we dive into these verses, I want to talk about 10 misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. Because see, before we can even hear what's in here, we got to talk about the misconceptions of the Holy Spirit. It's about 10 of them. This is, this is medium 10. That's, that's all I could have time to talk about. Number one, he is God with a little g. He's God with a little g. We just said that. He is ours to command. And let's stop right there for a few minutes. See, some people think they can tell the Holy Ghost what to do. No, no, I mean, because we're going to get in this Bible, but we got to deal with these concepts. Some people think, Holy Spirit, I need you to get over here. Get here right now. Come here. Hey, sick him, sick him, ha, 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 stick him. Get him, Holy Spirit. The de- yeah, get, and, and, and they think the Holy Spirit's like some type of holy pit bull that's sitting around wagging his tail and panting, waiting to do what you want him to do. But he gives the orders, you don't give no orders. Somebody ought to hear me. See, that's why some of y'all don't, don't listen or walk in the Holy Spirit because you think you own him. You think you own the Holy Spirit. So we're going we to get all that misconception out the way. So, so stop ordering him around. 
Whoever orders the Holy Spirit around needs to be rebuked for he puts them to sleep. Because he does kill people. Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Never one. We use him, he doesn't use us. It's kind of, kind of with the same vibe. You know, the Holy Spirit, we use him, he doesn't use us. Another one, number, number four, he is a mist and like a smoke, like air. Like, he's like hot ice dipped in water, and then all of a sudden, smoke comes around, and his presence is just like air and smoke in the atmosphere, and, and, and he's present, so to speak. Well, we'll see later that, that, that there's some, I understand where people are coming from, but Holy Spirit, even though he's non-corporeal, meaning he doesn't have a body, doesn't mean he's air. Like, the, he's in the atmosphere, like he's in the air ducts, and when you turn the switch on, here he comes, Okay. Another one is the Holy Spirit's not really intelligent. Some of the things that we say God told us to do ain't intelligent. See, that's why I know we think he's dumb. We think, the, I think the Lord is telling me to, man, not pay, like, my bills this month and give it all away to these three people. I don't think he told you that. I think the Lord is moving me to, no, he's, stop lying on God the Holy Spirit. Listen, if it can't be confirmed in the word, it don't need to be heard. And so, so, and so, so, so listen to me. Paul, Paul, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, these things I have written to you that you may not stray far from the things which are written. What does he mean by that? The, because the Corinthian church was Holy Ghost people, they liked to make up stuff that the Holy Ghost was doing all the time. And because of that, Paul says, I got to point y'all punks back to the scriptures because y'all always trying to make, create a word from God. See, don't cre see, some people don't like the Bible much, so they use the Holy Spirit as a scapegoat to say what they want to say without saying it was just them. Stop lying on the Holy Spirit. So he's intelligent, and I'm telling you, he's not dumb. He, he's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipotent. So he knows everything. He's powerful. He sees everything. So he's not like the stepchild of the Trinity. I'm just trying to help us real quick before we get into this. We said he exists for us, but then number seven, he is for special events in our life, not for the whole of our lives. <laughs> he's for special events. He's for, thank you, brother. He's for, he's, for, he's for special events only. The Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't help us out in the regular of our everyday lives. But what we do is we only need him as a special endowment for things that are really important. Because all of our life isn't important. Only a few events are important. So Holy Spirit helped me in this area, but not all of my life. That's called synchronization. Okay? Also, his characteristics is seen... When we lose control in worship. So, if somebody say they caught the Holy Ghost, and I didn't know he was a cold, but, or some type of sickness, you don't catch the Holy Ghost, either you have him or you don't. Thank you. So, in light of that, we don't catch him, and so, and so, and so, when we worship, we believe in expressive worship, we believe in intelligent worship, we believe in emotional worship, and we believe also in volitional worship. Worship is, a, worship is thinking about God, having passion for God, and being willing, even if you don't feel like it at that moment, to give him his glory. 
Now that's worship. Now the Holy Spirit works with that. Now the worship has to have Jesus because Jesus said in the upper room discourse that he'll come glorify him. So he likes it when, G when worship is Jesus-centered, not me-centered. But he also likes it when we... Now if someone's wild, if you smack somebody and knock them out cold during worship, if you karate kicked your cousin during the gathering, that ain't the Holy Spirit. I remember, I remember back in my, in, my, in my heavy days back in college, man, cats were barking worship. Roo, roo. Some of that's worship. I, I, I lie. I'm telling you I'm not lying. Some of they barking in the spirit. I said, barking in the spirit? What is that? What in the world is barking, roaring like a lion? I'm a lion. I'm all a part of lion of Jews. Row, row. I was like, hold on. This is, this, this is scaring me right now. You know, usually in worship, I don't, my heart don't drop, but it was dropping a little bit. I was wondering whether something else was going on in the worship time. I give so many more, but last one that, that I get very concerned about is he's not a person. When we call him an it or that, that, that he's a person. He's an actual person. You will never hear the Holy Spirit being referred to from Genesis to Revelation as an impersonal pronoun. He's always a masculine, personal pronoun. Jesus even emphasizes he, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will. And he keeps emphasizing the, the, the personality of the parakletos, the one who comes alongside. So those are some things I wanted us to just think through and work through as, as we have all of us, all of us, all, every last... Me included. Lie on the Holy Spirit. I've lied on him before. I had to repent. Spirit told me, no, he didn't. Just say, I, I, you know, just be humble about it. I'm sensing, now this, I could be wrong, but I'm saying, like, don't be so clack-a-tacker about it. You know what I'm saying? Be able to say, man, I was wrong. I lied on the Holy Spirit and repent. It's all good, all right? So in the verses here at hand, since we're done with some misconceptions, this is a beautiful passage here, verses 13 and 14, and remember, we're talking about our identity. That's what Paul is writing about. We didn't make up this title. What's beautiful about this passage is he's using the Holy Spirit to talk about our identity. He's talking about our identity, and the Holy Spirit, of course, is writing through him, which is beautiful. So we saw that the Father, he commissions. We see that the Son uh, creates, and now we see today, we want to see today, the Holy Spirit, the completer of our identity the completer of our identity. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. All right, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with him the promised Holy Spirit, or the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his Glory. Great stuff. Very, very short verse. We won't spend a whole lot of time on this today. I, I really would just want to preach what's in this passage. And, and, and so in this passage, you see Paul, after he's going through the work of the triune God in salvation. Again, he's talking about God the Father's role in salvation. He's talking about God the Son's role in salvation. And he talks about an aspect of, of God the Spirit's role in salvation. He doesn't talk about everything that the Spirit does to create us in Christ and the places in the body of Christ, baptizing us, uh, all of that stuff, all, everything that the Holy Spirit does. But he, he chooses to focus really on a term of completion. 
a term of beginning and a term of, com term of completion. And, and this is going to be a lot of good application out of this because I think that there are four main things that the Holy Spirit does in a, and Paul is expressing that the Holy Spirit does in sealing us. Now, first he talks about the Holy Spirit in talking about, he says, in him, you also, when you heard, in him, in the first part of this verse is in Christ, but then it transitions because, of course, Christ was talked about in verse 12. Now it says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth. Now he's emphasizing the word of truth to talk about the content of the gospel, being truth, being the central message that creates salvation for the believer. The central message that creates and continues and completes salvation for the Christian. He's, he says, he's, it's interesting he, he uses this emphatically. He says, he says, you heard the word of truth. Then he calls that word of truth the gospel because it's true. Then he says, of your salvation. And so Paul makes sure that he communicates to them, I actually shared the gospel with you guys. You guys actually got the authentic message of the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes further in, in connecting this to salvation. He connects some interesting terminology that helps us to understand what happened when salvation took place. Okay? So, so he's talked about the Father called salvation to happen. He talked about the, the son actually making it happen, uh, making it possible, rather, through his death. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit now as the applier of salvation and what he does, okay? So look at what the verses say. Now it says, it says, believe in him. So now you've heard the gospel and you believed in him. So now you believe in Christ. This is still the in him here. So he's pointing to the fact that you trust in Christ, you believe this message that is truth and that it brings salvation and that it's good news. Now, he says, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, this is modified, um, this, the, the antecedent to this goes back to when you heard. Now, when they heard, they were sealed, Okay. So, they weren't sealed later. They were sealed when they believed. That's very important. That means that when they trusted Jesus Christ as, holy, as, as, as uh, their Savior, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Matter of fact, he was already working in them before they trusted Jesus. Because, because the Bible says in John chapter 16 that he comes to do three things. Come to convict of sin righteousness and judgment. I don't want to give chapter two away because there's some really intricate things we need to talk through theologically and practically about who we were and what God did as a work in us before we were able on our own. Uh, we couldn't do it on our own. We had to trust Christ with help. So the Holy Spirit was the helper that helped us to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. So when we believed, we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. So we, and I'm going to explain seal, but we didn't get Holy Spirit later. Now, when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, I will talk about the filling of the Spirit. I don't want to give it all away now. That's why I don't want to talk about everything up front. However, it's clear when you look in Acts chapter 10, 44, and Peter was preaching to those in Cornelius' household, and he was murdering the gospel preaching right in front of their grill a whole crew of people and it says and while they were hearing the message of the gospel 
they all began, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Nobody laid hands on them. Nobody said, say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Nothing happened. It said, while he was preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to prophesy. So, so, so when we look at this idea of the Holy Spirit, that was a sign that the, when, when they got into Acts 15, that the Holy Spirit had come among the Gentiles so that when they went back to the Jerusalem Council, there was proof uh, through the sign of the Holy Spirit, through external sign evidence, that the Holy Spirit had actually came upon this group of people, and now they were able to affirm them as authentic Christians, not sub-Christians. Okay? And so here, this is very important to understand. You don't risk, like, there is no such thing as the second blessing. There's no such thing as it. It's not going to be another time after you trust Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit's going to come then. We'll talk more in detail about this, but again, right here in this passage, it says, you, when you believe, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk about this, because if we weren't sealed until after salvation, then we weren't saved in the first place, because you'll hear when we explain what the word sealed means, that it is a theological and holiness of God possibility, impossibility that, that we wouldn't have received the Holy Spirit as salvation. It's very, very important. Some people will say, well, nah, you were indwelled by him, but you weren't filled by him. We'll talk about that when we get to Ephesians 5, okay? And I'll show you where Peter was filled with the Spirit more than once when we get there, though. All right. Now, sealed, this idea of sealed and the coming of the Holy Spirit was talked about through the prophets. It was promised through Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, where God said, I will put my Spirit on you and cause you to walk in my statutes. In Ezekiel 37, 14, the Spirit was promised. Also, in John, John the Baptist affirmed the promise of the Spirit. In Mark chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, he says, I baptize you with water, but there's, a, there's one that comes after me that's more powerful than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So now we're talking about him talking about Jesus through his death, giving the promise of the Spirit to the people of God, okay? Then we see Jesus Christ also promised the coming of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 26. So let's look at this word sealed. Let's look at this word sealed. Now, now sealed means to mark with a seal as a means of identification, to mark it. So that mark denoting ownership, and it also carries with it protection by the owner for that which he's bought, okay? It also forms the basis and imagery for the Christian community entering the Christian community as being sealed by the Spirit. So in believers being sealed, the apostle is speaking to the church. He spoke to the apostle and the church in Corinth. God has made them because you'll see it in 1 Corinthians, also him talking about this same idea, that God has made his own in a, um, a, a invaluable possession, the pledge of this, the Spirit of God in the heart of the believer. Also, the Holy Spirit as a pledge of the inheritance, which we see in this text, is now the seal with which the Holy Spirit is marked, appointed, and kept. we're kept for redemption. So they're mainly, they're mainly like four 
main ideas that comes out of this. And I like the way Harold Honer talks about this. It is very clear. He does an excellent job at this. He says, number one, ceiling points to, to close with a seal to denote security. Because back in the day when they sealed an envelope, what they would do is they would heat up some wax and it would drop on the edge of the city. They didn't lick envelopes back then like us, all right? What they would do is they would, they would take the, some wax and heat it up and it would drop on the top of the envelope once they've closed it. And then the king or the representative would have a signet ring. You'll see the idea of God setting signets. I believe it's in Haggai chapter 3, the last verse. Now, what, what happens is, is this signet ring was a, a representation of the one who's sealing the letter and whom the letter or information is from. And so while the wax is still melted, but he will let it cool off just enough to keep the impression, and he would put his mark on it and pull it back. And whoever saw this envelope saw the mark of the one who sealed it. The Holy Spirit is our identity. He points to the one who bought us with the price. Also, uh, this, this, this denotes a down payment. We'll talk about the guarantee in a minute. But, 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 but this sealing work makes, it, it points to our identity in Christ, but also our ownership by Christ. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 and 19, that you and I were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your mortal bodies. In chapter 3, it says, um, it's, it's, this is a beautiful thing. He says, you are each a temple of the Holy Spirit. And if anyone destroys the temple of God, let that person be destroyed. So he's giving a warning about how we treat ourselves and how Christians treat one another. Why? Because we're marked by the signet of the Holy Spirit. So, 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 this, so the Holy Spirit is more than just the guy that shows up during worship. He's the one that you identify with Christ with through the week as a worshiper by identity, not just action, through music. Because so, worship, when we get together, is a celebration of the seal. <laughs> it's a celebration that the signet is on each Christian. And that God has made his unique mark on you that each one of us, although we're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, we are uniquely unified through the mark that God has placed on each one of our souls that demands a return on the investment. So we're sealed. It also, the seal points to, to mark with the seal to authenticate something. See, when they mark the seal, they say, they say, how I know this is from him. See, the signature, see, somebody can forge a signature. They say, how I know it's from him. Well, he'll say, now, now look at the mark before you break the seal and, and open up the letter. Look, before they would open it and they'd accept the letter as actually from the recipient, they want to know. And there's only one ring made like each one signet. Every signet is unique to each owner. So God on his throne, every time somebody gets saved, Holy Spirit just hold us up. He go, bow. Every time we get that, bow. He says, bow, bow. Every time God is punching us with the signet of his fist to say, I'm your mind. That needs to be enough for somebody. Some of you here today don't feel like you belong. God said, no, 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 I've put my signet on you. My impression is on you. I know he felt you up and down, but ain't nobody touched you like I have. 
I know you like touching people, but let me tell you, I've touched you better than you can touch somebody. See, God is so powerful that when he makes his mark on us, it's for eternity. And I, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. But this is so beautiful for the identity of the Christian to save. That's why we savor Jesus, because he's, God has done all this work, all this work to save us and to affirm to us. And some of us are sinking in depression, but we're not recognizing the one who is developing us. God did all this work talking about us in eternity. Won't even exist. Won't even exist. He's talking all about us with the Godhead. Then all of a sudden, Jesus comes and I mean, take, I mean, comes off his throne in, in eternal air condition. Angels covering him up. He got bodyguards dwelling in unapproachable light, kicking it with his dad, fellowshipping, true community, unbridled community. It says, I'm going to give up this community for 33 years. I'm coming back, though, Daddy. But I'm a dip. And I'm going into a stinky, dirty, muddy, trifling earth with people who stink, who argue all the time, who complain all the time, who cuss all the time, who are whoremongers and hate us. And I'm going to go among the people that hate us, not just in lips, but also in life to save them. Now, once we save them, we're going to show them that they're ours by marking them with our presence. Do you know in your soul as a Christian, you have the signature of the Godhead that doesn't make you a God now. Don't get too high and mighty. But it should make you it. God ascribes value to every Christian. Every Christian. Let, let me tell you something. God ascribes value to you. Some of you are sitting here and you were wilding last night. God ascribes value to you because of Christ. He wants you to live in light of that value. However, he still does, he does, he never, ah, I'm getting ahead of myself. I got to stop doing that. Okay. Let me go to the next thing that's on the sheet. Okay. To clarify, uh, to certify genuineness, so we're certified. And also to, uh, to know identification, especially especially the identification of ownership, uh, especially the identification of ownership. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to give a bunch of application at the end of this that's going to be really, really helpful for us by God's grace. It's going to be real helpful for us by God's grace. Okay, so now he says, with the seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Now, the inheritance of the Christian is the whole of salvation. The inheritance of the Christian is the whole of salvation. Beautiful. What we mean by that is the inheritance of new body, presence of God, eternity, the whole nine. All of this is, all of, this is of, of massive importance for us. All of this is of massive importance for us. But this idea of guarantee means down payment. Say down payment. In other words, it, it, the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge that God is going to do everything that he said he was going to do. So the Holy Spirit's presence in the believer's life it's to point to the fact that anything God promises, he's going to bring to pass. The Holy Spirit is almost like earnest money. Now, I'm, uh, we're buying another house and we're selling our other one. One of the things that the seller wants is the seller usually wants what's called earnest money. So you can, you can, you can get pre-qualified and all of that, and you can even have all the money. But they want earnest money to let them know that you're serious about purchasing the house. If you don't give earnest money, of course, it'd be like, well, they may buy, they may not buy. But the earnest money is put in an escrow account to hold 
to make sure that you know that we're serious about this. And if I, if I act a fool on this deal, you get the earnest money, okay? What God does is, even though it's a little different because it's more divine and more powerful, but that was just a little illustration to show that the Holy Spirit is a down payment on the fact that God is going to complete our salvation. That the reality of the fact that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Who does he complete it through? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's job in your life now is to remind you that God will listen. He will complete every single promise that he's promised that you read in context into your life. He's going to complete every one of those promises. So he's given as a guarantee that God isn't finished with you. That's, that's what it means. In, in other words, the down payment says, yeah, I, I, I mean, Christ paid for our lives. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about the consummation of it. And so he's given as a beautiful guarantee to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It says here, it says, as a legal term, a commercial technical term, an advanced transaction that guarantees the validity of a contract or a full purchase price, down payment, first installment, or pledge. And so now, I just want to close on these several things. I told you it was going to be short today. I want to close on several things in relation to this idea of the seal. So I want to preach this in context. Okay? There's just several things that we can extract principle-wise from the seal of the Holy Spirit and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit that's implied through that idea. Number one, assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. Okay, so, so the Holy Spirit is, is one of the things that he does in our life through the seal of his presence. The guarantee is to assure us that we're saved. One of those ways that's fleshed out practically is Romans 8, I believe, verse 14. It says the Holy Spirit does what? Cries, Abba, Father, in us. Why? So that we may know that we're children of God. What does the verse talk about up in the upper verses in verses 3 and 4 of this book? It talks about the Father predestined us for adoption as sons. So now that the Father predestines us for adoption as sons, the Holy Spirit throughout our life, because we go through weaknesses, difficulties that make us question whether or not we were saved in the first place. Have you ever felt that way? Listen, I remember my first year of seminary. I thought I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I, I, I thought, I, you know, I was, I, 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 was, I was hyper charismatic, then I became hyper conservative. I'm not hyper conservative anymore, but I became real, real hyper conservative. And so everything that had to do with wrong uses of the Holy Spirit, I was blasting cat. And I remember I went off, and there's something I felt funny the way I went off. And it was really God convicted me of my pride and my arrogance and my think I know it allness. But I felt like I had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And I remember for six to eight months straight crying over and over and over again, wondering whether or not God had removed me from salvation because I had committed the unpardonable sin. And so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just reading all these commentaries, talking to professors, talking to my pastor. I mean, I'm trying, but nothing would work. I mean, I'm telling you, I was reading the right stuff, getting in the context of the verses, all of that. And, it, and I mean, I mean and, and, and God used the word of God, but he used the spirit of God to show me that if you, listen, if you were worried about losing your salvation, you probably didn't lose it. Because someone that committed blasphemy, if you look at the Pharisees, son, 
The Pharisees didn't care that they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. So they, their hearts were hardened and they were seared in their conscience. And so they weren't responsive to the Holy Spirit. But you with your crazy self got scared and convicted and you've been crying and praying. Woo! And crying and praying, we good. And crying and praying. And, and, God, and, God, has been, and God is showing you by his grace. Thank you all. Um, God has been... God has been, God is helping you and convicting you and pointing you back to the scriptures that you're his. That was a very, very hard time in my life. He assures us of our salvation, but not only does he assure us of our salvation. I mean, I can keep going in assurance of salvation. Ah, Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. And peace and believing, listen to that, so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Hope is the visual picture of some alternative future that God has created for us to one day live in. That's hope. And hope is the application of that. That's why hope is one of the aspects of what makes faith faith. Without hope, you can't have faith. That's why faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you don't have hope, you don't, can't have faith, okay? Number two, assurance of eternal security. See, assurance of salvation is I'm saved. Eternal security, which we'll talk about when we get to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. I won't talk about it holistically here. But the spirit, in, the, in being an applier of our salvation, we see that in Titus chapter 3, verse 5 and 7. We see um, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5 that the spirit keeps us saved. We don't keep ourselves saved. <laughs> so we see in 1 Peter 1, 5, that we are kept until the day of redemption. We see that. So, 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 so if it's eternal life, I just got to ask, how is it eternal life and we can lose eternal life? That, that, that just never made sense to me. Ephesians 4, 30. But this is my favorite assurance passage. When I'm feeling funny, like I may have lost my salvation because of my emotional distress and because of my sin. My sin sometimes makes me feel like I lost him. But the thing about him is I may feel like I lost him, but he never loses me. It says here, it says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge? That means a charge to say you're not saved against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Somebody ought to hear me. Who is it at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, I'll preach on this one, shall distress, shall persecution, shall famine, shall be in nude, danger, or the sword, for it is written, for our sake we are being killed. That's a process and an event. Being killed all day long, so our sins are being dealt with while we're sinning. Oh, anyway, we were, we were regarded... As sheep to a slaughter. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am sure 
This is the best part of it. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, not even powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation, including you, will be able to separate you from the love of God, but it's specific, that's in Christ Jesus. And so right now, if you're struggling with your salvation and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're not feeling your love for yourself, nothing in your life can separate you from God's love for you. So you have assurance. It don't get no more plainer than that. <laughs> I'm going to stop there. It just don't get no more plainer than that. So many other things that the Pledge of Christ affirms. But this is so, so important for the believer. This is why the Holy Spirit is present. To keep you walking with him. To keep you talking with him. To keep you hearing from him based on the scriptures. Here we do not despise prophetic utterances. We do believe in prophetic gifts here. But this is what we believe based on 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 through 23. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold to that which is good. So the Holy Spirit is supposed to keep us on track to making sure that we're not straying away from that. And he will do a work in our lives to make sure we remain on track. There is no Ichabod if Christ is keeping us on track. I'm just telling you, family. And so God's work, me and his word, I declare. It's, it's God's grace It's going to keep us. He seals us. Then one day, the seal will be broken. Because we'll be in his presence. We'll be in his presence. All day and all night. You won't need angels to watch over you. You won't need church services and gatherings. Because you will be gathered with the one that we gathered for. See, we won't need to gather because we'll be in his presence. And so we'll spend eternity chilling out with the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father. And one day his tabernacle is going to be among all men. And his, we'll get to see his attributes with divine sunglasses that he has given us, but he's holding us to that day. So somebody needs to know that God has given you the grace through the Spirit to hold on. Hold on, somebody may be suicidal. That's, that's not the answer. That's, that's not the answer. Listen, I don't care what you're basing your value on. God has already, in Christ, ascribed value on us to keep us on mission with him and to keep us walking with him and desiring his heart and his passion to see him formed in each and every one of us. So let's, let's look at the Holy Spirit as Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's not at our beck and call. He's not our pit bull. He's not our German shepherd. He's not our guard dog. We are to submit to him. He orders us around. He will convict you and challenge you and develop you. That's what he's there for. He's there to bleed you into all truth. Being led into all truth doesn't mean leading you into the right information only. It's to lead you into the right information and the right application for true comprehensive transformation. So let's rightly view the Holy Spirit. He's not a spook. He's not a mist. He's God. Father, we thank you for the spirit of Christ. That's what he's, he got so many aliases, the, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth, the paraclete, 
He, he got so many different names. And God, we just thank you for the pledge of God the Spirit. Our God and our leader, the one who applied salvation to us, baptized us into the body of Christ, and is the gatekeeper to the body of Christ to make sure that he loses nothing. And he's also the restrainer. He was, this world isn't as evil as it could be. <laughs> I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit doesn't allow our depravity to take over planet Earth. Because if our depravity took over, we'd kill each other and all of us would go to hell. But thank you for the restrainer. He's so powerful. He's such a keeper. And he's more than just something to be used during the worship gathering. He's our God and our leader and our Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.